Hello, Centerway Church. I'm Deidre. And I'm Meredith, and we're here to welcome you and give you some information to start off our gathering today. Hello to everyone joining us, whether you're watching live or joining us later in the week. And hello to any watch parties joining us live today. Also, a special welcome to any guests with us for the very first time. We can't say enough how happy we are that you're here with us today. Over the next couple of minutes, we'll share some information that we hope helps you navigate and enjoy your very first time with us. Because we're a young mobile church and we're in a unique season of being mostly online with some in-person gatherings here and there, we hope to meet you face-to-face -face very soon. But for today, as you visit online, we trust you still feel at home here. You can learn more about us on our website if you have any more questions. Mm -hmm. If you're gathering live on Sunday, we encourage you to check out the tabs that are right on the online platform that you're on. You can share your information with us, which will just help us to follow up and get feedback from you. We won't stalk you, we promise. <laughs> also on the live platform, you can explore next steps and you can find previous messages. Uh, and if you call us on our way home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. During the gathering, if you have questions or you would like prayer, just request prayer and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you are watching or listening later in the week, many of the things that I just mentioned can happen through our website. If you would like to connect with us after this gathering, if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or you just need prayer, please email us. We would love to hear from you. Connect at centerwaychurch.com. Yes, we love hearing from you. In addition to emailing us, you can check out our social media and access the resources on our website. If you visit the messages page, you'll find all of our messages, including one just for kids. They'll sing some songs and hear a message that's just for them. And they're learning from the same scripture text that we adults do. So if you have kids in your home, you'll be able to discuss the application question together, which is really amazing. Yeah, so great. And on that, on that page also are resources related to the messages, like images that you can put on your devices, links to the Spotify playlist for this series, and access to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. If you'd like to receive the devotionals directly to your inbox instead of going to the website, you can subscribe on the Next Steps page. Mm -hmm. Before we wrap up here, we want to remind you that next Sunday we have an in-person gathering at 10 a.m. We are so excited. Yeah. The details for that are on the calendar page of our website. We also have a July Sunday gathering to look forward to, as well as some other in-person opportunities awesome. that you're going to be hearing about soon if you're on our mailing list. If you're not, and you know you're not, please send us an email at connectedcentermaychurch.com, same email address, and we will add you to those lists so that you're sure to get all of our summer information coming up. Absolutely. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Priscilla will be reading the scripture text for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible. And then Meredith and I will come back and close out the gathering with some ways to respond in, in, through worship. Right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now here's Priscilla with the text for today. Good morning, Centerway Church. I'm here with today's scripture reading. We're in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 44. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. 
for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Hello and welcome. My name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Well, I just want to welcome you and thank you for being with us this morning as we continue in our series, Connecting the Dots. Uh, today's message is entitled Control, so Connecting the Dots, Control. And I want to start the talk a little bit by uh, asking you a question to kind of consider. The question is this, why is it so easy to compare? Why is it so easy to compare? I think that it's so easy in part to compare because when we compare, it provides us immediate feedback in our lives. I vividly remember uh, my first experience following a college botany test. That's right, I took botany in college. And uh, it was my first semester of college and I was devastated for a girl. Uh, it was a girl that I did not know at all, uh, but she was made to stand up as the professor told an entire lecture hall full of students, there were probably around 50 or more of us there, that this girl got a 65 on the very first test that we had taken. I just remember being devastated for her. I remember looking at the professor like, oh my gosh, this guy is like a real jerk. I can't believe he's doing this. And then the the thing that you wouldn't expect to happen happened to me. Uh, in the next moment, he said my name and I was almost startled by it. And he said, I'd like you to stand up as well. And I was like, is this happening? So I stand up and calls six others and we all stand up and he tells the six of us that we received a 60 on this test. And I remember just being furious. I remember, in fact, um, the emotion started to rise up in me so much that my hand, my right hand started to kind of like shake a little bit. It was kind of like the, one of those blood pressure moments where I was like, is this seriously happening? This guy is such a jerk. I wasn't embarrassed. There were some people in the class that were made to stand that immediately you could tell they were very embarrassed that they were told to stand. And the one girl started to get a little bit emotional and almost immediately the professor realized kind of what was happening and what he had accidentally done. And so he said, hey, before anybody who's standing, uh, you know, gets embarrassed or frustrated, I probably should have started by clarifying something. Uh, the seven that stand before you right now got the highest grades on this test. And so I want to celebrate that they did the best that they could, but I want to tell you the next highest grade after them was a 47. And uh, the class was just silent. And it just happened in an absolute moment. I went from frustrated and angry that I had personally failed. You know, like I had got a 60 on this test. So I was frustrated at myself. I'm frustrated at this jerk. I can't believe he's pointing me out. All this emotion and anger. And then all of a sudden, boom. All of a sudden now I'm told that I did great. And now the, the emotions within me just shift. All of a sudden, I, I did one of the best grades in the class. Now, granted, it still wasn't good. In fact, uh, one of the guys that were standing off to my right, I didn't know him at all. But when he made the announcement that we got the seven highest grades, he went, yes. And one of the girls sitting down goes, uh, a 60 is still failing. And he turned around. They must have known each other. Maybe they were even dating. He just turned around and looked at her and said, don't. Don't you take this from me. 
just like that. It was, it was really pretty funny. But it was this moment where you just, you, you have your emotions swing from one extreme all the way to the other. Why in that moment did we experience that swing? And it's because the power of comparison. The power of comparison. In that moment, we had this devastation of failure, but yet when compared to everyone else, we were the best. We were the best. Now, we were actually uh, awarded some extra credit and we were informed that the test would be thrown away, but the seven of us would get some extra credit because we did so well compared to the rest of the class. So here's the deal. Comparing makes us feel better or worse than we should. Think about that because comparison can go both ways. Comparing ourselves to others can make us feel better than we ought to about something. Like we still failed, but compared to others, we did great. Or worse than we should, right? The, the majority of the class had failed alongside us, but they felt devastated that they did worse than us. It's just interesting that when we compare, it either causes us to settle or to strive. When we compare to others, there's something inside us that either says, we're finally good enough and we can settle, or we strive. The point is this, comparing isn't an accurate gauge of reality. It's not accurate. It's not an accurate gauge of reality. So why is it so easy to do? Why is it so easy to compare? I want to submit to you that it's easy because it allows us, as I mentioned, immediate feedback for what reason? In order to control the narrative of our lives. That's why it's easy. We lean into comparison because it gives us handles in order to control the narrative of our lives. Am I valuable or do I need to strive? You see, comparison is about an attempt to control. And we see Jesus kind of address this reality in this week's text. In fact, the text begins with Jesus actually clarifying misconceptions about the Messiah in order to clarify humanity's attempt at control. Let's take a look. Verses 35 through 37 says this, and, and Jesus, I'm sorry, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the, the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, and then he quotes Psalm, Psalm uh, 110, I believe it is. The, he, he quotes him and says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Then he goes on, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Okay. You've got to hear that and kind of be like, I don't even understand what's happening. <laughs> what is Jesus talking about? Why is he saying it? Why is he quoting Psalm? Well, let's jump in. In verse 36, Jesus is quoting Psalm 110. But what does it all mean when we put it together? Well, he starts with some premises that everyone then, these Jewish people that he's speaking to, would have completely understood and believed. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review for our sake in modern times what those premises actually are. They're this. The, the first premise that Jesus is kind of functioning off of is that according to the prophets, the Messiah was going to come and make all things right. 
Okay, so everyone in the room had this premise, had this preconceived idea and notion of who the Messiah was. They would have all started with that. The second thing that would have been uh, understood by everyone is that according to the prophets, the Messiah would also be a descendant of David, a descendant of King David, who was the author of Psalm 110, just so you know. So we're all on the same page. So something else that needs to be understood about their culture is this. A descendant would be referred to as a son or a descendant, okay? So if we reread that text with kind of that mindset, we'll see this. If we understand those premises, Jesus is addressing their preconceived ideas and the scribes' conclusions by saying, if those premises are true, if everything that we know and understand about King David and about who the Messiah will be, if all of that is true, then explain Psalm 110 which was a psalm written, as I mentioned, by David. You see, what he's pointing out is that David, in that psalm, calls calls his descendant, my Lord. So King David refers to his descendant as my Lord, not my son. The only conclusion and the only explanation that they would have all picked up on because of what they understood and knew is that David's descendant, the Messiah, is also divine. That he, the Messiah, would be God. Jesus is connecting the dots for everyone present and is saying the Messiah is both fully man and fully God. Jesus is telling them, guys, your view of the Messiah is too small. It's too small. You're looking to control Rome. You're looking for temporal freedom on this plane. But the Messiah is not a warrior. The Messiah is not a politician who's going to come and overthrow Rome. No, the mission isn't to make this world comfortable, but rather to to resolve something far greater and far more eternal. Listen, we as humans still struggle with viewing Jesus through the lens of what we want and what it is that we think we need from him. We we have to come to the place where we can connect all the dots and understand that there's something much larger at play. Get our eyes off of this plane. Have you ever needed something much bigger than you thought? You're almost kind of confused by the moment. I remember a, a moment where I was, uh, I was in high school and I was driving and uh, I remember a friend called me and said, hey, I just got a puppy, man. Uh, I'm wondering, do you have a leash? I know you have some dogs. Do you have a leash that you could bring over to us until we can just kind of get a leash for our dog? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm sure we have leashes around here. He's like, oh, that would be so helpful if you could, because I was already headed over to the house. When you come over, if you could bring a leash. I'm like, yeah, no problem. So as I've already mentioned, um, we've, we had a couple of uh, of uh, chihuahuas growing up. If you want to know some of the stories of my dogs and their fates, you can feel free to listen to some previous messages, actually part of this series. But I went over to the drawer and we had uh, some leashes from this tiny little dog. If you're not familiar, chihuahuas are rather small. And so I think puppy, this will work. And so I grabbed this, this leash and um, I show up at my friend's house. And as I pull in the, the driveway, I have this leash in my hand and uh, we walk in and I, I, as I'm holding this, all of a sudden, this ginormous Rottweiler comes around the corner and uh, I'm like, holy cow. And he's like, yeah. He's like, oh, that's cute. Where's the leash? And I was like, this is the leash. And he goes, 
that's not gonna work for my dog. I was like, you said it was a puppy. He goes, he is a puppy. I'm like, what does he weigh? He weighs like 80 pounds. This dog was ginormous, but he was a puppy. You see, I had an inaccurate picture of the reality. Why? Because of my experience and my preconceived ideas of what it meant for there to be a puppy. I just thought, small. Well, I should have asked what kind of puppy, or maybe he should have offered, I have a puppy, but it's a ginormous Rottweiler, so bring a chain or a rope or something. <laughs> the point is this. Jesus is connecting the dots and uprooting their preconceived ideas about who the Messiah was or will be, and even the scribes. He's uprooting the scribes' ideas. He addresses the scribes' misrepresentation of who God is in the way that they live their lives. Then he does something that seems somewhat disconnected. Why does Jesus suddenly bring up a widow? Have you ever thought that? I think the temptation might be as you read through this text is to assume that maybe the, the widow is an entirely different story that Jesus engages. But it's pretty clear from the pericope, from the section of thought, that the verse 41 starts with and. It's actually connected to the story prior. So what is it that, that Jesus is trying to say? What, is it, what does it mean for Jesus to bring up this widow? If you look closely, you'll realize it's not unrelated, but rather it illustrates and summarizes everything that Jesus is actually saying. So what's he telling us? Let's pick it up in verse 41 through 42. And he sat down, meaning Jesus, opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put, put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Hmm. A little minor context before we read on. A widow in their society, uh, if not taken care of by their children, specifically their son in that culture, would be among some of the poorest in their community. And Mark clarifies that this isn't just a widow, but this is in fact, according to the text, a poor widow. Then he gives a little bit more clarity and says that this widow gives two small copper coins that in total make up a penny. It's the smallest denomination of their currency, okay? Goes on verse 43 through 44. And he called his disciples, Jesus, calls his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed, get this, out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Get this, she gives the smallest gift. She gives the smallest gift. I think it's interesting that she also gives two of these coins. That's all that she has, she could have given one, right? She has two of these copper coins. She could have given half of all she had in the world and it still would have been impressive, but instead she places both of these coins into the offering plate. She has, without doubt, given the smallest gift, but has made the largest sacrifice. Think about that. Because in our comparison game, 
in our mind, in the way that our world functions, we sometimes look at the amount, we look at the volume and we're impressed by that or we strive for it or we settle in it. But here we see that she gives the smallest gift, but it's in fact the greatest sacrifice. Verse 44 actually concludes, it says, but has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. That last three words there, to live on, is actually uh, in Greek where we get the word in English, uh, bio, which if you know biology is the study of life. And so bio means physical life. So she gave everything. In fact, if you look at it literally, it seems as if she has given her physical life. Of course, that's figurative in this text. There's something profound taking place here. Our giving as church-going Americans doesn't typically change our lifestyles. And I'm sure and grateful for many of you that live as stewards connected to Centerway and those that have not identified as stewards of Centerway and yet give towards the furtherance of the kingdom in different efforts that we do around the world or even here locally in the Rochester area. We give, but when we give, even when we give significantly, rarely does it change our lifestyle. I don't know of anyone that, that has given and then as a result, gone without a meal given and then as a result had to sell their home or liquidate something significant in their lives. No, as Americans, more often than not, we give out of our abundance. We give money. We give dollars and cents. She gave her ability to survive. She gave her ability to survive. Get this. She doesn't compare her insignificant amount and say, well, it's not as much as everybody else is giving. I should just keep it. It's embarrassing. I'm not going to give anything. It won't make a difference in the kingdom, right? She doesn't function according to comparison. She, in fact, surrendered control of her life by giving. No question. This is powerful. It's powerful. But, but you may be thinking, how does it connect? How does this connect to what we're talking about? Well, let's put it all together and connect the dots, if you will. At the core of viewing the Messiah as God is our willingness and ultimately our capacity to surrender control. Listen, this world can't stabilize our lives. If you put your hope in, in things like, like the United States of America, in the dollar, if you put all of your hope and your dreams into your will and how you want things to play out, it will always lead you astray, devastated, frustrated, angry, shaking your fist, wondering why. Only Jesus can stabilize our lives. You see, it's because of Jesus that we're able to live as stewards with open hands and surrendered. Okay, so the secular person, and I know that there's people at all different places in their spiritual journey that, that listen and watch. The secular person will say, I have control of my life and I determine what is truth. That's, that's what the, the secular bent is. This is about me and my control of truth and life. A religious person will say, I control God through my behavior and my morality. You see, there are two extreme poles of the same problem of control. There are, there are two extremes of humanity trying to control the reality of their lives, the narrative of their lives. But this widow surrendered 
and trusted. Surrender. Trust. Those are scary words. They're scary words. We don't like to be vulnerable. We don't like the idea of surrendering, of of trusting, of risking. The reason we don't always connect with God is honestly because more often than not, we're scared. We're scared. We as humans don't want to lose control. We don't want to risk losing some form of control. And so we hold on. It's risky. And on our best day, we can't conjure up the courage to be the widow. To push it all into the middle and say, okay, I'm going all in, God. I trust you. I surrender. Everything. My capacity to survive is in your hands. I trust you with it all, Lord. Every single bit. Not not just part of this relationship, not just a little bit of my finances, not, not with my identity a little bit in my job or in my school or with my sports. No, God, all of it, everything. I surrender it to you. Your will, not mine. But listen, Jesus on the cross was stripped of everything, penniless and naked. He died on a cross. Jesus, who deserved justice, who deserved justice, instead got punished so that we who deserve to be punished could get grace. You see, the nameless widow figuratively gave her life away, but Jesus literally gave his life. He did what we can't do on our best day so that on our worst day, we can lean into that which he has done. The grace awarded to us is more than we can process. Will you risk trusting him? Will you risk trusting Jesus? Will you allow him to be the foundation so that you're not, that you're not settling nor are you striving, but you're leaning into the fullness of life because you've gone all in and you say, listen, I'm holding to the worries and the cares of this world loosely. It doesn't determine who I am. I'm a child of the living God. And so therefore I trust you, Lord. We at Centerway have a because and therefore It goes like this. It's called God risks. It says, because we see, I'm sorry, because God sees what we can't, we value God risks. Therefore, we respond when God speaks, pursue efforts that require supernatural intervention to succeed. And while we aren't irresponsible, we resist the comfort zone and don't maintain or play it safe out of fear. Are you willing to risk it? We, as, at Centerway, as a church community, embrace God risks. What about you personally? Do you really trust the Lord? We say every week that the text requires something of us. And I want to challenge you with this question this week. I want you to ask yourself, what God risk will I take this week? What God risk will I take this week? Now, for some of you, if you're new to faith, Maybe you have never risked truly surrendering your life to the Lord. Going all in, if you will, and just say, okay, Lord, I've been the leader of my own life and I've given you sections and parts of my life, but I've never fully gone in and just surrendered to you. If that's you today, as you listen or watch, I want to challenge you to consider what it looks like to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. 
It's as simple as praying a prayer. It doesn't have to be these words, but something along the lines of acknowledging the fact that Jesus died the death that you deserve, that you're a sinner, and that you just pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. I surrender to you. If you're willing to risk that and you're with us live, I want to challenge you to just push the button to have a prayer request and it'll put you in a a separate chat with one of our hosts and we can talk to you about the next steps of the decision you've made. If you're listening or watching this later, you can reach out to us through the website or through our email and we'd love to come alongside you as you take that God risk. For others of us that have maybe already crossed that line of salvation, I want to challenge you to consider what it looks like to take a God risk this week. Will you risk maybe becoming a steward for at Centerway, maybe signing up for a Clarity Workshop through our website? Maybe it means risking water baptism and going public with the decisions that you've made privately. You can sign up on our website if you're interested in doing that. We're looking to do a water baptism this summer. And so I want to encourage you to, to take a God risk, to, to sign up, to put some action to that which the Lord is leading you to in your heart and mind. Maybe it means taking the God risk of starting to tithe of just saying, okay, God, I trust you enough with my money to to put you in the proper place and to put finances in the proper place. Maybe it means serving and signing up for for an opportunity to serve when we do gather in person, which we do monthly. We have another one coming up shortly. I'll talk about that in a moment. But I just want to encourage you, what does the God risk look like for you? For you. Care enough about you and realize that God values you enough to not live your life settling or striving, but instead asking Jesus to be the center of your life, to inform every relationship and every aspect of your life. Maybe it means for those of you that already function that way, say, listen, that's me. I do that. I do that. I do that. Amen. 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 If that's you out there, have you risked living missionally? In some way, have you invited a friend or family member to a watch party? Maybe risked having a spiritual conversation with someone that you know the Holy Spirit's leading you to have a spiritual conversation with. Maybe it means inviting a loved one or a friend to our next in-person gathering, which, by the way, is this coming Sunday, the 13th. So I encourage you to maybe take that God risk, whatever it might be. In fact, I know we all have some step to take, and it's going to be different for each and every one of us. You see... The challenge might look differently, but the sacrifice is equal, that we're willing to to risk trusting God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have done that which we cannot do, so that we can not only rest in our identity as children of God, but that we can also then live with our hands open, that we don't have to strive, that we don't have to to, to hold on to uh, white-knuckled to the things we've earned and the, the stuff we fought for, but we can live open-handed, realizing that it's all a gift from you. And we'd allow the truth of your gospel to transform our hearts, cause us to open our hands, and live generously for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I encourage you to look for opportunities to take God risks this week. We'll see you next week, hopefully in person if you're available. Until then, God bless. So thankful for that word today, and we want to encourage you to take a God risk this week. It will look unique for each one of us, which is exciting. 
Claude mentioned a few options like the Clarity Workshop and Baptism. To learn more about those, visit the Next Steps page of the website. Mm -hmm. Taking a God risk really is an act of worship, and there are many other ways to worship this week. In fact, singing is one way that we get to worship together, and we're about to do that if you're gathered live. If you're connecting at another time, you can still worship by singing along with the video posted on Facebook or with the songs on Spotify. Just search for Centerway Church and look for the Connecting the Dots playlist. For those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in a few minutes.